Let's hear some of that movie chat. Credits roll by and I tip my hat. Credits roll by, wanna know more right away. Let's have some of that movie chat. Credits roll by, tell me who did that. Life in the credits is where I wanna play. Welcome to Life in the Credits. This is the show where we learn about entertainment by chatting with people who work in the industry. I'm Susan. And I'm Ben. And today we're discussing the film Goonies. And joining us today is our special guest, David Carpenter. So welcome to the show, David. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you very much for being here, David. Can you tell us a bit about what you do in the entertainment world? Absolutely. So I spent uh, about 20 years working uh, on and off Broadway in a variety of positions, all the way up to uh, being a, a producer on Broadway. And then awesome. it, 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 we can talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's got some quirks to it. Um, and then I actually started a software company called Gameotics, which is a software company for uh, for entertainment, but it's actually starting to expand a little bit beyond that. And then I am also a partner in and the, and the CEO of this uh, live entertainment experience called the 20 Sided Tavern. So I'm, I'm, doing a, I'm doing a few different things right now. Very cool. That's excellent. So can you kind of tell us about your path to get where you are today? So like your time on Broadway yeah. coming up through Gameotics? So I moved to New York right out of college. Uh, I started working in um, off-off Broadway theater, um, and I spent a couple of years working in off-off Broadway, and then off Broadway in uh, nonprofit. Mm. And uh, I got very lucky at one point. I um, I got a job working for a Broadway producing company called the Dodgers. And if you if you know anything about Broadway, the Dodgers are one of the most successful uh, producing houses um, uh, over the last forty years, really. And like uh, to the point, like they are they are the lead producers of. Jersey Boys. Um, wow. And so it was a really cool job. I started working in general management there. I lasted about three months before they booted me out and moved me up to the touring division. And I worked on contracts and touring division um, for a couple of years there. And that's where I started getting my feet wet, started learning about the industry, started learning about how Broadway works. And then, uh, and that's where I really started thinking about maybe I want to be a producer because I didn't want to go into general management. Mm -hmm. I found producing to be a little bit more interesting just from a holistic point of view in terms of like what the producer's job is uh, within a theatrical organization. During that time, I actually got poached by Dream works and i was part of the team that brought um a shrek the musical to broadway back oh, in cool. uh, 2008 right so i did yeah. that and dreamworks was pretty cool very corporate but it was a pretty cool job to have and then i was kind of done working on sales and marketing after that and i went to work for another producer where i stayed for about five years i ran her office and she was an interesting woman she was a co-producer on broadway which basically means an investor um yeah. and wanted to start dabbling in becoming a lead producer, which is, which is, you know, heading, heading the entire thing. And so I, I was able to work for a number of years for her in learning how early stage uh, stage, how productions and how concepts are put together from very early stages. Right. So it's funny because right now, and this, this is now five to 10 years later, one of the things I did at that office is that I successfully negotiated and helped the office acquire um, uh, Diane Warren's music catalog to turn it into a Broadway musical. Cool. And I was the first one in the theater industry to have done that. Now, my producer, the producer I worked at the time, didn't figure it out, right? And the, and those and by the time I left the company, those officers rights left. And now several other people have tried to do it um, subsequently in my wake and trying to figure out. I mean, the woman wrote, "If I could turn back time, you know, she's a yeah. fascinating creature yeah. in her own right." But try, but in this age of of this continuing age of juice box musicals, mm -hmm. it's kind of an interesting idea to say, "Hey, who get this to work?" And a, a bunch of other projects I did option deals on and started put together. I got very disillusioned working for that producer. Um, it was a very toxic environment, and you, mm -hmm. I mean, we we've talked about. Broadway, we talk about Broadway in that regard. And I and I left and I I started 
with a partner, uh, a production company called Tilted Windmills, where it was our production company. And I ha had that company for about five years. I produced a, a show called Puffs during that time. And Puffs is um, a parody of the Harry Potter universe. It's about <laughs> three young wizards who are sent off to wizarding school in England, but they are in what's called the Puffs house. And the names, the houses in this parody are the Puffs, the Smarts, the Braves, um, and the Snakes, right? Mm -hmm. and it was probably one of the best educational experiences I ever had. The show is an out and out hit. It's the number two most produced show in the U.S. right now. Like it's just wow. a massive hit um, in the world. And it ran three years on off Broadway, a record breaking run at, at, at the theater. It was, at. it was a really big success. And it taught me a lot about producing. I learned how to produce on that show, really. They think the day to day uh, machinations of it and how and how to navigate. And through uh, through Puffs, we produced the filming of the stage show. Right. So like Hamilton. Yeah. Like, I'm going to compare myself to Hamilton. But like huh? Hamilton, you can watch on Apple TV. <laughs> yeah. We did the same thing years before they did where we filmed the whole mm -hmm. stage show and then we released it and we distributed it digitally. Yes. I did a bunch of other things during that time. One of the two biggest things where I started this software, which we'll talk about, it was during those days at Tilted where I started the software company. And then I also was the lead producer of a show called Slava Snow Show on Broadway, which was in the winter of 2019. And so, you know, I got to get to that point within my career where a theater owner calls you and say, what you got? We got a theater this winter. Can, awesome. You know, do you have something for, do you have, or can you bring Slava's in? That's what the yeah. conversation was. And that's a pretty cool thing, because I don't yeah. think a lot of people realize in terms of specifically with how Broadway works is there aren't a lot of people in the world who get that call every year yeah. because there aren't a lot of theaters out there. And it's a very small, select, snotty club of people who <laughs> have worked themselves into that position who have right. the right product, the right time for the right theater and able to kind of move it through this pipeline of entertainment that that is, you know, that is at least Broadway and, and touring Broadway that's out there. Beginning of 2020, I started saying, all right, I want to figure out this software company. And then the pandemic hit. And honestly, God, yeah. the rest is history. Because the pandemic had changed, changed everything I'm yeah. doing. Yeah. Very cool. So what does Gameotics do? And, you know, what are the features that that software brings to entertainment? So the origin story of Gameotics is I come across a show um, back in 2015 that was you were when you walked in the theater, you were handed a remote, like a radio frequency remote that was a, a four push button, ABCD push button remote. That remote was tied to educational polling software, okay, um, which was all like bar graphs, right? Just yeah. you know, right? And but the show, the show conceptually was really interesting because it was a rom com. It was about a guy who was always unlucky in love and was going and and this genie appears and decides he's going to help him find love in his life, right? And the audience was cast as, if I remember correctly, a, a chorus of heavenly angels or whatever it was, right? And they were there to help make this guy make decisions, right? And so at these key moments during the course of this show, the audience would vote on what the guy should do next or what situation or what line he should or what he should wear or what or the things all throughout the course of the show. And it was the first time I'd ever seen a, a successful execution of a branching narrative concept in the live theatrical stage space, right? Cool. Yeah. And and, you know, and so there was all like, I don't know, 20 votes during the show. I can't remember what the number is. It's very dim in the, in the fog of memory, but there was like 15 different possible endings. And so there was a point system that if during the course of the choices that if the audience voted very positively for the guy, they would get the ending that he sleeps with the girl, right? And if they voted very negatively, they get the ending where he throws himself off a bridge and then all these choices in between about the types of endings you get. And it was, and, and I just was so struck by it. I was also so struck by the engagement that the audience had in the execution of the evening that I thought, oh gosh, like this 
this could really be something. And the show itself wasn't very good, right? Like, mm. it, just, it just simply was. I mean, like, yeah. like you know, you have this setup where you have this, where you have this guy and the, and the genie is like, well, I'm going to pluck three women from the universe for you. And then the audience chooses which woman the guy goes, like, deeply misogynistic. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, when you say back, you're like, oh, that was appalling. And I optioned yeah. the show, right? But there were there are ways through it. So yeah. one of the first things that I said to the author was like, well, we've got to fix this, this voting issue, right? And I said, you, you can't hand something to an audience when they walk into a theater. It's not a scalable idea. I, and he said, well, we talked about an app. And I was like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna brain on this, right? And I got introduced to this uh, software programmer, um, this engineer uh, uh, from California, this guy named Dave Keen. And Dave, at one time in his life, had been the senior architect of the PlayStation Gaming Network, right? So he was like into gaming wow. and a really big engineer, and he was also a big theater lover, right? Oh. And I took Dave this problem, and Dave was like, "Well, let's make it an app." And I was like, "Okay, here's the problem with an app, right? In that because the way that it works in live entertainment in any capacity." And, and this is again in 2015 when everybody was like app insane, yeah, right? Yeah, it's right. like if 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 it's 8:05 and the audience member is running late and the show has started and the usher stops them at the door and says, "Wait, take out your phone and now download an app before they go into the theater yeah. because yeah. they didn't read anything and so they didn't do anything." You've lost them, right? Yeah. And I said, and if you want to scale the idea, they've got to be able to get in within two clicks, right? And yeah. we got to figure out a two click way in. So what we did is we created. A, a web interface, right, that could be used on the phone that allowed for the audience to be able to do basic polling, which is where it started, mm -hmm. um, and do the basic ideas in real time along with the show collectively as an audience, right? That was the that was the original architecture of what Gaming Ops was supposed to do. And Dave went and he designed an insanely clever piece of software that was built for this sense of how do you get an, how do you get five hundred, how do you get a thousand, how do you get five thousand people moving into a space quickly, engaging and going with no interruption. And so we started working on this idea. And then of course I give all these notes to that author and the author's like, well, if you didn't like my play, you shouldn't have optioned it. And I was like, oh, you're an author that can't take a note. Okay, like, this is never going to work out. I was like, no, I understand what this is. That's $5,000 that is out the door. But Dave had gone ahead and, and, and designed this software by this point. So yeah. we were left with software, but no product for it, right? So we opened Puffs and Puffs was a big hit. And I turn around to, the, to that team and I said, I've got the software, you want to try it? And so we commissioned a play and continued to develop the software to serve the needs of the play and like add in. So it went be, immediately went beyond polling and started really moving into gamification of experience, right? Like how do we engage? How do we game this with the audience? How do we create things with them? We did it, um, I think it was down at the University of Florida to try and test this thing out. And we put it in front of an audience. First two nights, the software didn't work. Like the whole thing crashed over and over again. We were in yeah. analog, everybody raised their hands. It was, it was kind of a nightmare. So we got the software working then like something really magical happened and we had these like tutorial choices originally and and the tutorial choices were like what color do you want the lights red green or blue right yeah. and the audience would vote and they'd all vote red and then the board up would hit the cue that turned all the lights red and the audience went oh my god like they <laughs> lost their mind because yeah. they've never seen that in mm -hmm. a live environment where yeah. their choices literally impacted the environment that they yeah. were in, right to that degree and that's when i was like this is something spectacular well Problem is, like, even if you have good software, if you don't have good content to run it, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. And that project that I worked on could not get itself off the ground. The original idea back in the Tilted days is that we were producing a show that had a software component. And 
I, in May of 19, I think we did like nine readings of them. We were trying so desperately. It's like, all right, we got to figure this thing out. And so we proposed to the team, say, look, we're going to do nine stage readings in two months, right? We're going to just do it over and over again. We're going to learn as much. And I had a very close friend of mine who was a producing partner of mine come in and see one of these readings, like the seventh or eighth reading. And he came in and he walked out and he says, you don't have a show. You have a software platform. Ditch the show. Focus on the software platform, right? And I was, and that was probably the best, one of some of the yeah. best advice I'd ever gotten in my career. I, then I ended up producing Slavas and like all that stuff. And so when I hit, when the pandemic hit, everything goes up in smoke. Everything I was yeah. working on disappeared. And so I called a bunch of friends and I said, you're not doing anything because they weren't. Yeah. I said, we're going to write and produce shows over Zoom. We're going to use it as a live entertainment platform. And we're going to use for gaming acts for people at home to keep them in engaged and let's see what happens. And for the next 18 months of my life, I produced 20 hour long Zoom shows, right? Wow. At a furious pace. And they yeah. were branching narrative. They were escape rooms. They were murder mysteries. There were... A com there were comedies, a Christmas comedy. We did, a, we did, a, we did a like a Halloween horror show. Um, we did quiz shows, we did game shows, and every time that we went with my this group of writers and friends back to the drawing board, they'd say, "We want the software to do this," and I go back to the engineers and and say, "Hey, can you build this?" Right, and they'd build it, and off we go. So by I would say May of I want to say it was twenty one. Like, I think the pandemic was starting to ease for the first time. Everyone was tired of online entertainment in a big way. And I was like, okay, we're done with this. This is this, this idea is not sustainable. No one wants to watch Zoom shows anymore, right? Like not in a, in not a big way. I'm going to shut this down and just focus on how I can get the software company off yeah. the ground. One of the shows that we produced uh, during that time period was a live action Dungeons and Dragons style game right where the audience got to make decisions and 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 it was designed by two of my partners David Laws and Sarah Reynolds and as we were shutting down the production company it was called Seas Show we were shutting that down and I was moving forward with Gameonics I said to them I was like this one has legs right of everything that we did like yeah. this is the one that has legs that's how the three of us um formed the 20 side tavern company because we're like god we really love this idea we want to see it live on stage yeah and that thing just blew up over the last year i mean it just blew up in a, in a wow. big way over the last year what gameonics has done is allowed for a two-way conversation between the content and the audience collectively yeah. at the same time right um, and we talk about the future what gameonics is going to do next but Collectively allows the audience to have this ongoing two-way conversation to build a different type of storytelling that nobody else can do. But you all get to do it from the comfort of your seat, right? Yeah. Or your home or wherever, so that you're not required to be mobile, the, the environment be accessible. And it also opens up uh, traditional theater spaces to interactivity yeah. in a way that, that nothing else in the market can do right now. So yeah. when you look at the Stranger Things, you look at what uh, immersive Van Gogh did like, all these things. They all yep. require enormous infrastructure yes. in order to to go into the world. What Gameonics is allowing for is this entire rethinking of what of what interactivity looks like um, within the entertainment industry. We're doing in seat interactive entertainment, and there and there have been many attempts to do this in the past. Yeah, the the game changer in in what it is that we're doing is like you walk in with the tool already in your hand, mm -hmm. right? Like you already have it there, and that's a massive difference to what everybody else is doing because it requires nothing for the audience other than show up with your cell phone. Yeah, and everybody has a cell phone, and they're going to be using them anyway during yeah. your show. <laughs> <laughs> Is that harder for your actors in the shows that you're producing to learn the 20 different endings or whatever? There are a lot of bridges to cross in the next decade, right? As as we start as we start figuring this out. I will say this, the the script I worked on 
back in, you know, uh, 17, 18, 19 was a big script, right? Yeah. And we were concerned about it before we realized that it's actors' jobs to memorize lines. Yeah. They actually could do it, right? If they were, if they needed to know all the iterations, there is a way to dis- design a script in a way that is huge. It's big. They used to require actors to remember to memorize all five acts of Shakespeare and go up yeah. on stage. Yeah, like, that's true. <laughs> it is possible to <laughs> right. do, right? Pragmatic, no, maybe not. Um, what we've done in the design of of Twenty Side Tavern is that. There are lines for the actors to memorize. Most of their work is improv-based based on the choices that are being made either by them or by the audience and the reaction of what they're doing. So, it, you know, it is not an open world universe in these types of scripts. It can't be. It's impossible for it to be that way. What it is is a lot of branches, right? A lot of pathways that they can go down that change and interchange. And their job of memorization really is where are we? Right. Yeah. And what it, and where are we in relation to the pathway that we're on, as opposed to what are my specific lines? So it's like that idea of being present is more about, OK, they've done this, this and this so far in the show. We've wound up in this room. Right. Because it is a bit of a dungeon crawler. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we wound up in this room. Here's the things that I know that are the points I got to hit on this room. And then by the, you know, and then by the, so so David Lawson, Sarah Reynolds, David Lawson mostly wrote the script. Sarah Reynolds did the game design. Um wrote in tent poles, right? Because he knows how because yeah. he's a really yeah. smart designer for this. So that so that they know they're never lost in space. Okay. And then their job is to improv, right? Really. Yeah. One of the challenges in innovation is if you try too hard to innovate something that already exists, it's not going to work. So yeah. you know I had a lot of investors in the very early days of saying, well, why can't you use gameotics and puffs? I'm like, well, puffs wasn't built for gameotics. Yeah. Like right, it won't work. But yeah, but you have the software and you have this hit play. Why don't you merge it like it makes and, and like in business, that makes all the sense in the world. Well, you have your assets, make them work together, make yeah. more money, right? Like, okay, like that's right. And the problem was is in being a new form of entertainment, new entertainment has to be invented around it, right? Yeah. And I can't take, I don't think anyone really wants to go see a branching narrative branching narrative Henry V. Like I really don't, I don't think that's yeah. necessarily real. A parody of Shakespeare, sure, yeah, why not? Sure. Right? Yeah. But but they're not gonna want me to apply this to death of a salesman. Yeah. Like they're just not, right? Yeah. And so what we did was literally invented something that could only exist because of the software. Yeah. Right? Um, which is the concept of branching narrative experiences on stage. Yeah, that's really cool. When you do something this new and this innovative, the problems are all new and they're five yeah. times hard, right? right. Yeah. Yeah, just really innovative idea. And also, like you said, like, it's not an idea you can test out in an office. Like, you have to just be in front of the audience. You have to go out and do it. So, yeah, I mean, all, the only way to test if it's going to work in a theater is go do it in a theater. So, and, you know, the truth is, is that that requires a lot of capital. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. You know, a big part of what my job is, is to convince investors that this is a really big, worthy idea. Yeah. Right? And, and that's a good challenge. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's been a challenge for me for the last two years is because. Broadway is not a big idea. <laughs> like yeah. it's not not when you compare it to a three hundred million dollar movie right. or to play video game. Yeah, like it's simply I mean, it's simply not a big idea. And so you're trained to think small, right? And I was trained to think small my whole career. And now I'm at a moment right now where I'm having to learn, honestly, learn how to think really big, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And 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 that's a it's just a, it's a it's a it's a journey I've been on for the last year, and I'm just I'm not anywhere near done with it yet. Yeah. So yeah. what is the process for getting investors in something like this? I mean, I have a network, people who've invested with me before, people who know me from the industry. I have financial partners from various things. Like, I think 
after you've had an exit, it becomes your Rolodex becomes a lot easier, right? And even with a hit show behind me, it's not easy. There's no like magic bullet in all of this. It's simply perseverance, right? It's just simply like, and, and I have it, I have a quote written on my wall, which is attributed to somebody, you know, somewhere. Every no leads to a yes, right? Which means that when someone says no, learn from it answer the question better next time and maybe eventually you'll get to a yes right and it's yeah. re- and it's just true which is you just have to take that rejection as a learning lesson and say all right it didn't it didn't work for them for a variety of reasons right maybe it's my plan maybe it's their taste whatever it is let's 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 just keep going yeah. until i'm able to get to meet that investor somewhere in the middle and it really is just pitching over and over again do you have any moments from your career this is a question i like to ask all of our guests um any moments from your career that are just a favorite moment or like a really unbelievable moment either from gameotics or from your time on Broadway. You, so, you know, applying a startup mentality to this 20 star tiver, you know, company, which is like, you know, you got to do a lot for a little. Yeah. Um, and, and everyone, you know, everyone's always like, you work to the, you work to that poverty idea in theater, but it's like, this isn't a poverty idea. This is like, we do really clear. And so he said, we got into the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and a great relationship with Edinburgh. I've been trying to bring a show there for years and I was finally able to do it with the show and, and, uh, you know, and everything's coming in, had a lot of technical problems. Of course, a highly technical show right. that is a non-technical environment, like, you know, and we're, and we're in the midst of trying to get everything working. And I was going to be in Edinburgh all month anyway, but because we were running so slim and had been all summer because we were just like Edinburgh was planned in the spring, Chicago only started being planned in July. So like, we're still in very like kind of slim mode. We'd have a lot of backup and we got into our first weekend and our stage manager goes down with COVID. Right. And so she had called the show a few times and she goes down and I get the call from my partners. My partners are in the show as well. I get the call from my partners and I'm like, oh, that's terrible. And then I was like, oh, God, I'm the only one. They're (laughs) like, you're the only one. I haven't staged (gasps) a show in 25 years. It's been since I was in college. And I was like, I had like two hours to sit down and learn the show. Now, like I wasn't in rehearsal. Like I didn't know the script before. I was like, you have got to. And that first show was an utter and complete disaster. I could not get a cue right to save my life. I messed the whole thing up, right? It was terrible. And then I went home and the next day, all the reviewers were coming. And I and I come back in the next day and I'm like, okay, we're going to get this right. And I called it flawlessly, right? Awesome. The next day. And I was like, and it's and then I did it for the rest of the week until, and then, and of course, like she got, the day she tested negative, I tested positive for COVID. And oh, I was, no. right? um, yeah, but it was like, it was, it was just one of those moments, right? And I, and I think it's actually really important, which is just because I hadn't called a show in 25 years, didn't mean the skills were somewhere in my brain. Okay. Yeah. But also when you are putting something together like this, like that all hands on deck means something. And I think yeah. that, I think that, Having worked in Broadway for many years, that is not a true statement in okay. Broadway, right? Yeah. Like it is not an all hands on deck. Everyone might want to say that. At least they treat the younger people that way. But it's like I don't see a lot of people who I don't know a lot of other producers who would have jumped into that moment. Oh right? yeah. Who, who would have done that? And I, I'm not saying that from an ego standpoint. I'm saying it's like, God, when you're really building something new, like you really have to like go to places where you did not expect to have yeah. to go in order to build it. So hopefully it'll be the last time I ever have to call a show. I've actually been really clear about that. <laughs> You know, in live entertainment, you just never know. Yeah. There are so many forces that are that are outside of your control, which is so different than film and television industry, right? Where at the end of the day, the product that you put into the market is a product that you spent months or weeks editing to get perfect, and then you put it in, right? Like you at least have a certain amount of control about what people are seeing. Live entertainment, stage entertainment, live entertainment, 
Like who knows what's going to happen that yeah. night, right? But that's the fun part. There's a lot of risk involved in, in, in what we do. And there's a lot of controlling for that risk that, that we're learning, especially with this about how to do. But the greatest thing is the software stable. So I haven't had any problems there. Great. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, David, we got one more question for you before yeah. we move on. And that question is, what advice do you have for people who want to either get into the theater world on Broadway or into the software world or just the entertainment world in general? They're all bubbles, right? They're, 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 they're good or bad. They're all bubbles, especially, especially Broadway. Certainly it is, it is a bubble that exists. That is certainly a circular fire firing squad in its own right. Right. But you lose perspective on the outside world. Right. And I've taken the attitude and I have for the last decade that I work in media and entertainment. Right. And I happen to work in live theatrical, but I've done stuff in other medias. I'm a publisher. I'm a filmmaker. Like I have other things that are going on. And I think I would say it's really important in this day and age now to really stay loose about what it is that you're doing and where and not and not get stuck in saying, well, if I'm on this track. Right. That's all I'm going to do, because you just don't know where your career is going to go. You just don't know yeah. what you're going to wind up doing. There are, of course, people, and I think we're all, I think in this society, we're all just kind of these slaves to this idea of celebrity. And that happens within our own industry. Celebrities, like, what, what you know, they don't have to be media celebrities, but celebrities in our industries. Like, I, there's, you know, perfect examples of, like, you know, the Broadway producer, like Kevin McCollum, is a great example of someone who had a, started working at the Weissler office, right, very young, um, got a job at the Ordway before he was 30, got rent by the time he was 32, you know, became a billionaire, whatever it is that, you know, after doing like, it's like, that's a celebrity within it. That is like, that is like, not everyone's going to do that. And nor should anyone do that. Yeah. And like, don't, don't peg yourself to these other types of careers. And so mm-hmm. many people do, because they're looking for markers. They're looking for guideposts. Yeah. And you know, a thing that, that I was saying, there's a risk to doing it, which is like, ignore all of it. The only race you're in is the race against yourself. Right. That's it. Yeah. Nothing else. And I think it's really hard because I see a lot of burnout happen all the time. I think it's really hard when you're a young person working in industry to not be like, oh, I want that person's career. Yeah. It's just like, no, you want your career. Yeah. Right. And how you're going to define your career. Don't worry what anybody else is doing. Only worry about what you're doing. It's a lonelier tack, but it also it's a little bit more freeing because then like, you know, after 20 years of working on Broadway, I can say, well, now I'm a software CEO and it's great. You know, and, 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 and I didn't lose anything by this. And I think that's also kind of the problem is like, you get so invested. I think that happens a lot in film. It's so invested in your skill set. You get so invested in the network that you have Mm -hmm. that you think, gosh, if I do something else, this is all going to disappear. Yeah. That's a perception, right? It just, you know, like it, it, it it disappears because you've said, you said that it happened is like that group of people will be useful somewhere else. Yeah. Right. Like, and like you have, you have to take a long-term view of it. It's like, you're not happy. If you don't want to do this thing, this skill set you've built, you have a skill set, go learn another one. Yeah. Right? There becomes a point, right. I think in life where that gets harder and harder to do, but like, I will say as a 45 year old man who started, who started working on software seven years ago, right. It's possible still. Yeah. Right. Like it's yeah. not. <laughs> yeah. Let's get to our featured film. Today we're discussing 1985 adventure comedy, The Goonies. It was written by Chris Columbus and Steven Spielberg. It was directed by Richard Donner, and it stars Sean Astin, Josh Brolin, Jeff Goen, Corey Feldman, Carrie Green, Martha Plimpton, and Kay Hee Kwan. So, 
Susan, he goes a quick breakdown. What's this movie about? Yes. So right at the beginning of the movie, Jake, this guy, Jake, escapes from prison and he's picked up by uh, his mom, Mama Fratelli and his brother, Francis. Um, Then at the same time, we meet then meet these group of boys called the Goonies and they live in what the Goondocks um, in Oregon. And their whole town is about to be like just raised to i think build a country club is that what they were doing golf course golf Golf course course. yeah Yeah, golf course golf course so they're all losing their homes they have like 24 hours left before they have to move out mikey's dad is like he runs the museum so they have all these artifacts in their attics they're like let's go up to the attic and look around and end up finding this map to this treasure from one-eyed willie and they're like we're gonna go find this and obviously some of them are a lot more hesitant than others but they do end up going on this adventure following this map going through these insane obstacles very indiana jones style sometimes but the whole time they're also being chased by mama fratelli and her sons because they also want the treasure one eyed willie is a famous pirate yeah sorry one eyed willie is a famous pirate um that his dad has all these artifacts for in his attic because he's like the famous pirate of this town Spoiler over this movie came out in the 80s. They do find the ship and the way it's revealed to the town is so cool when it just like sails out of a cave. But um, yeah, so we can get into it more. Absolutely. So, David, you chose this movie for us to watch. Why did you choose The Goonies? I mean, the answer is like, it's literally one of the my favorite yeah. movies from childhood. Right. Yes. Like, just so good. One hundred percent obsessed with that movie as a kid. Yeah. As a kid, one of the reasons why people I mean, like as a nerd. Right. Because I, mean, I think yeah. one of the things that we talked about earlier is like, always been a big video gamer my whole yeah. life like right? had an atari yeah. had the first playstation right um you know had a nintendo of course right like yeah. i was an athlete i was a student athlete um in middle school and high school but i i think one of the things when when you when you grow up gay in the south in the 80s and 90s for god's sakes because uh, i grew up outside of atlanta is like you feel very on the outside of everything that's going on right sure. and and i what's interesting about about that journey as it relates now is like you definitely have a culture of, of people who who are who have felt othered their whole lives yeah. who have mm-hmm. now kind of found communities where they're not othered anymore. Yeah. Right. Right. And, right. And, I th- and I think we're seeing that we're seeing that across sexuality spectrums, but we mm-hmm. we see that a lot in fandom now, right? Yeah. And one, you know, one of the things um, about, and I will swear to God, I'm getting back to the movie. One oh, of the things about about D and D, about Dungeons and Dragons, is that that community is just so embracing of yeah. everyone, right? Yeah. Because yeah. it's a place for everybody to go. It's one of the things I love about the show. But it's one of the things I love about fandoms. One of the things I love about gamers, um, for the most part, which is you you have a, you have this this concept of of a life that isn't isn't necessarily what was described to you as in the mainstream, right? Yeah. So, you know, you look at a movie like The Goonies, the movie starts from the beginning of saying they are the outsiders yeah, in this right. town, right? They are, right, and, and like right from the get-go, they are the weird kids, yeah. right? Like, uh, and then even even the the jock older brother, yeah. right? who is, which actor is that? Because Josh Brolin. Um, yeah, that's Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin, right? Yeah. I mean, Thanos, <laughs> for God's sakes, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, uh, uh, you know, are all the outsider kids, yeah. right? And so when you're an outsider kid and you start watching these movies, the, these kids are going on an adventure. Yes. Right? Yeah. These kids are having something magical. The the normal kids, the the, the right, um, uh, you know, the, the jocks, you know, I guess Troy, it was his name, yes, right? Yes, that's they, who it was. Yeah. You know, that... the, right? And, and, and the powers that be in the town are not getting to go on an adventure, no. right? So it was interesting in that movie where you had the the two women, Carrie Green and Martha Plimpton, who come into this world, right? 
like from the outside right. and realize that these kids are great. And like, yeah. there was something just like about how that whole, the construction, um, how Richard Donner constructed the whole movie because it really spoke to that generation of the 1980s who yeah. grew up on Star Wars, right? Yeah. Grew up on like this first major event in media where you have this movie through the world and you, all these people show up and be like, no, I'm in a fandom now, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I found my people. This is what we're doing now. Because at the same, at the same time that was happening, D and D was starting, right? At the same time that was happening, board games were like all these things yeah. were starting to happen in right now. And I think that movie really spoke to the fact that just because society might view these kids as others, they don't see themselves that way to a degree. Yeah. There's some things in that movie that do, but that, but that they're good. Right. I mean, that's really the message at the end of the yeah. day. These are good people mm-hmm. and they solved the mystery. Yes. Right? Right. And they yeah. saved the town. And they right. saved, and <laughs> they the, saved the town, right? Yeah. Right? They're they, the heroes. Like, the, the nerds saved the town, yeah. right? The, the weird kids saved the town. And so yeah. I think there's something really beautiful about that story yeah. in terms of like how it defines itself against what's going on in the town, but then also just kind of like the journey that, that, that they're going on. Cause there's that, my favorite moment in the film yeah. is when, when they're at the wishing well, right. And they have yeah. the opportunity to <laughs> escape and give up and, and Sean Aston gives that amazing yeah. speech, right. It's our, um, yeah, it's our um, time down here. Yeah. It's our time. Right. You know, that like, you know, as a, as a nerd, right. That speech just like hits you, right. Of being like, mm-hmm. no, I don't have to go up there. I can stay down here. Yeah. Right. I don't have to, right. Yeah. I don't need to escape. So, so there's, a, there's a, it's one of the reasons why, I mean, it always has been because I think there's just a lot going on in that movie. And I think for kids, like you're growing up, you're yes. that age, which I was right. It just, it, you're like, Oh, life is not, life can be different. Right. Yeah. Life yeah. can be something else. For sure. And it's a, that's really a theme that holds up. And that's why this movie is probably still popular. Like people still watch it is because that theme is still like so highly relatable. Oh, totally. Yeah. The characters yeah. are great. And this movie is so funny. Oh, like, yeah. All the characters yeah, are really just good. hilarious. I mean, Chunk is wonderful. Of course, you know, his relationship with Sloth is great. Yes. I mean, I mean and Sloth is played so scary for the introduction, right? It's like terrifying. And then you meet him and then you fall in love with him as he and like Chuck start, uh, Chunk start bonding with mm-hmm. each other. Well, but it's a it's a it's a reinforce it's an interesting reinforcement thing because I think one of the problems with Goonies right now actually Chunk is a problematic yes, thing sure, in yeah. that movie right now right mm-hmm. where where I mean, a lot of red you know certainly a lot of people came out you know the last couple of years and said like look you have this movie which which fat shames a kid and it's yeah. true like the, it movie, does, yeah. the movie absolutely does that but then when you when you well, if you if you look at it from a and I'm not I'm not like I'm not doing a pass on that but like right i think you you brought up kind of one of the most brilliant things about it where you have the kid who is othered within his own group right the weirdo of the weirdos right is the one who becomes sympathetic and friends with the quote-unquote with the monster right Right. who ends up saving them at the end of the day yeah like this reinforcement of the entire theme of the movie right of like of like of of there is no, there is no level of of acceptance of other people you can hit, right? Like yeah. there's no barrier to it. And I think yeah. that's what the, I think that's what the brilliant thing about the Chunk character, and it does is like they definitely made him into something, and then they used that tool like to be able to to appeal to the monster, right? Yeah. And the monster ends up saving them. And it's like, yeah. it's like, it's a, it's like, it is really a fantasy story. Like you could do that in a swords and saddle theme, like like easily, yeah. right? Like it happened, <laughs> like happened, great. But it's a really kind of very clever thing about that movie right yes right um 
But like you have people now, and I'm like, you know, this isn't necessarily my opinion. You have people now saying like, this is what's wrong with PC culture is like, you can't actually get to that journey. It's like, well, we shouldn't start from the fat shaming. There's another way right. to do it. Yeah, there's <laughs> other ways to do it. <laughs> right. sure. We've evolved. I mean, and right. there's so many things like even like jokes that I didn't get until I was older just because of the history of the film. But like, you know, later on at, in the movie slots, you know, has a big Superman moment where he rips off his shirt in the Superman. It's directed by Richard Donner who made Superman. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. I mean, like, you know, he's like referencing his own movie, yeah. right? Yeah. And then, of course, there's the, the Bond theme where Data first comes in for the first time and it plays yep. the Bond music. Yeah. You know, and he, of course, has all his gadgets. But mm -hmm. each kid has, has their moment. Even, you know, the new Goonies. And he <laughs> plays the piano. And, you know, they each have a, an important yeah. role to play to get them through the, the path and it's so cool that the adults you know we talked about this a lot how it's great that the kids are the ones who are able to get through it where the adults fail well I, you know i think it's i think it's a for a, for a family movie i think it's an important thing that everybody has something to offer yeah right? exactly. like that every that everybody there that everybody has a skill set every has something that they can that they can bring to the situation so i was thinking like the Muppet movie that came out about 10 years ago which one with the new one that came out the Muppets um, Oh yeah. Um, right. You know, the end of it where, where the mm -hmm. Muppet who didn't feel he had any place anywhere, the Muppet and the end of the movie is like, well, you can whistle. Right. Yeah. So like, so, like I'm with my husband and I are watching at the theater. It's back when we lived in Manhattan. We're at the theater. Right. And he, my husband uh, for many years was a performer. He's got a beautiful singing voice. He's a wonderful actor. Like, and, you know, and I cannot sing a note and I'm literally <laughs> come from a musical family. I cannot, yeah. like music is not in my brain anywhere at all. Like, like I love music. I just cannot sing. Right. But I can whistle on pitch. Like that's the like that's the genetic thing. Like the one thing that worked is like like I can whistle on pitch like like crazy, right? So we're watching this movie, and then like at the end of it, when they're like, "Oh, you have no value in the world," like, except you can whistle, and he saves the movie. And I'm just bawling, right? Just like <laughs> like just thirty five dollars, bawling, bawling, bawling. Movie theater. Like right, because it goes back to that Goonies thing, which is like. Even if you don't think you have anything to contribute, of course you do. You yeah. just got to it within yourself to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. But again, that was a really good theme of the movie, right? Yeah. Which, yeah. which is like, all all weirdos have value, yeah. right? All yeah. of them do. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's got something. Yeah. <laughs> I love the villains in this film. Yeah, Ma Fratelli really is one of the classic movie villains of cinema. She's so good. The scene where they're <laughs> where they're threatening Chunk with the blender, um, and he starts telling the story of of how he got everyone to start throwing up in the theater yeah. is so funny. And even like God, does the the physical comedy of, of the of the brothers are there's everyone in this movie is so good at at what they do. And I, like, so I was just looking it up right now. So like, and, and Joe uh, Pantaleona, right? Is playing yeah. Francis Fratelli, who yeah. like, went on to do like every gangster yeah. movie ever after that, right? Which yeah. is kind of amazing. And of course, like, and, and um, throw them on from the train. Yeah. Um, yep. uh, you know, do you know that movie with Danny DeVito? Of yeah. course, yeah. It was a good, such a good, there was such a good cast. Yes. Well, and also you have, you have this mother character who hates her own kids. Like she, yeah. hates, like she hates kids, period, right? Yeah, she's All not, kids. yeah, she's not like a typical mom. What does she say when she like, shuts her that kids suck? Yeah. Kids suck. Oh, that was a funny line. Yeah, that was a really, really good line in that movie. Everything's so great. Yeah, there's nothing maternal about her. Yeah. Which is... <laughs> well, you know what, and you know what, you know what was good about, about that is that, that those those there were stakes in those villains, right? Yeah. right? Like, like they were, 
they you really got the sense that they were bad people, yes. right? And, yeah. they, and if they could have, they would have killed the kids. Like you felt the stakes for the guy, which I thought was something that was really, really well done that Richard Donner did. Is like he did not shy away from the fact that like no, these are violent criminals. Yeah, right? yeah. Right? That these kids are that these kids are being chased by mm-hmm. right? Yeah. right through through these tunnels underneath this town, like. Yeah. I, again, there's like a quality of '80s movies where you don't see that as much anymore, right? right. Get, yeah. Those states got a little bit watered down in the last 30 years. Yeah. Yeah, and they they have no redemptive arc. It's not like you get to the end and you're like, there's some thread of goodness in them. They're just bad, they're except just, for yeah, they're just back to yeah. jail. Yeah. 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 Like, they're not they're not turning it around at the end, which I feel like happens a lot. Where it's like you see a shred of humanity in the villain at the end, but these, it's just like there's bad people. Well, the, and the interesting thing is, like, unlike unlike a movie like like American Treasure, where where yeah. when they find the treasure, they win, they get all of it, right? Like they're like right. they're like instant trillionaires, right? A national treasure. Yeah. yeah. A national treasure. Sorry, a national yeah. treasure. Yeah. Where where and the end of this one, they only got what was in his pockets. Yeah. Right? They right. Only had enough, they didn't become multimillionaires. They got mm-hmm. enough money to save the town, and that yeah. was it. And yeah. that was a, that's an interesting like comment on enough is enough. Yeah. Right? yeah. You didn't need the full ship of even though no. it's after you actually accomplished the goal, which was save the town. That yeah. is enough, right? Yeah. And that end of the movie is very satisfying with them all sitting on the beach watching the ship sailing the bit in the distance. None of them were really saying. Oh, we didn't get enough. It's yeah. like we no, we did it, we did the thing. And mm-hmm. that's a really and that's a really like kind of lovely another lovely theme yeah, in the movie, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. I mean, this movie's uh, just a classic. I mean, you know, we grew up watching it. I, I watched it mm, probably, I've probably seen this movie a couple hundred times oh, in, my, in yeah. my life, you know. And it's just just a great every time. Love this film. And so uh thank you for recommending it, David. Yeah. We like to finish up our show today with a game that we're calling Classic Quotables. We're going to see how well both of you know famous movie lines. So, David, you'll be playing against Susan. So, here are the rules. I'm going to give you the name of a well-known movie and a classic line of dialogue from it, but not the entire line. A word will be missing and you have to fill it in. You will each have one minute to get as many as you can. If you don't know the line, you can pass. And whoever gets the most correct will win our prize. And Susan, what's our prize? It's some Life in the Credits merchandise. It's like a mug or a shirt, something like that. <laughs> yeah, we'll send you stuff in the mail, David. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. So, David, are you ready to play? You've elected to go first. Yes, I'm ready. I'm going to start your time as soon as I give you your first clue. This is from the film The Goonies. Goonies never say blank. Die. Correct. From The Godfather. I'm going to make him an offer he can't blank. Refuse. Correct. From Wizard of Oz. Toto, I've got a feeling we're not in blank anymore. Kansas. Correct. From Apocalypse Now. I love the smell of napalm in the blank. Morning. Correct. From A Few Good Men. You can't handle the blank. Truth. Correct. From Jaws. We're going to need a blank boat. Bigger. Correct. From Jurassic Park. Life finds a blank. Way. Correct. From Spider-Man, with great power comes great blank. Responsibility. Correct. From Babe, that'll do blank, that'll do. Pig. Correct. (laughs) And from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, blank moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. Life. Yes. That's one minute and ten correct. That is going to be hard to beat. Yeah, because I knew all of those, which means there's not many left. <laughs> I'm just going to know. That was really, really good. Well done, David. Okay. Thank all you. right, Susan, you're up. Okay, let's do it. 
I, your time will start after I give you your first quote. Yes. Uh, this is from Toy Story, mm-hmm. and it's to infinity and blank. Beyond. Correct. From Star Wars Empire Strike Back, do or do not, there is no blank. Try. Correct. You From the Dark Knight, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the blank. Villain. Correct. From Hook, to live would be an awfully big blank. Oh, no. You can pass if you don't know. Pass. I'll come back to it. From Avengers Endgame, I blank you 3000. Love you? Yes. From Back to the Future, where we're going, we don't need blank. Roads. Correct. Napoleon Dynamite, you going to eat your blank? Tina? Incorrect. Oh, no. From Wait, no, no. Uh, pass. I know it, but I can't think of it right now. From Finding Foster, you're the man now, blank. Dog. Correct. From Hunger Games, I volunteer as blank. Tribute. Correct. From Bridesmaids, I'm glad he's single because I'm going to climb him like a blank. Jungle Gym? Incorrect. Tree? Tree. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. So, Susan, you missed. What's the Napoleon Dynamite one? I just, like, pictured him talking to his uh, Well, mama. first of all, from Hook, it was yeah. to live would be an awfully big adventure. Oh, God. I and had to the hard you, track. These, I didn't know how many. Yeah. From Napoleon Dynamite is you're going to eat your tots. Tots. That's, tots, that's right. Well, Susan got eight correct, which means David's our winner oh, today. congratulations. You got, those were way harder than the ones I got. <laughs> <laughs> I right. haven't seen a Napoleon Dynamite in a really long time, but I just watched Hook not yeah. that long ago. We've I should have watched it on yeah. Someone had Hook on the show? Absolutely. Yeah. Fascinating movie, that one is. Yeah, yeah. That's a classic. Yeah. I, I we talked about it for too. a while. Yeah. 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 Well, very cool. Well, David, thank you so much for being on the show. Before we let you go, would you like to plug anything? Yeah, sure. So uh, obviously, uh, give me audits of uh, this new software solution that are doing. Uh, 20 Side Tavern, we're ending our run in Chicago on January 15th. So, But stay tuned. Hopefully, uh, I'll be able to announce in the coming months where we're going to be next. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff in the works for it. It's going to keep going. Like I said, we're going out on tour with it for sure. Uh, but there, hopefully, there, there's some bigger news coming down the road in the next couple of months. Uh, but give me Alex, I'll be doing, a, um, if I'm able to stay on track, um, which I can't promise, but we'll be doing the <laughs> software release um, of the new version of the software that will be cons- more consumer-friendly at the end of February. So just awesome. stay tuned and see where these things start going over the next year. It's I've had a crazy year with this so far. Um, next year, the reason why I took a week office i have no idea what to expect next year yeah <laughs> perfect well good hopefully luck. all good things absolutely yeah. well thank you so much for being on the show yeah today. this was great this is great. great thanks so much life in the credits is hosted and produced by me susan swarner and me ben bloom it's executive produced by michelle levin the music is written and performed by steve trowbridge you can hear more of steve's music at trowbridgesounds.com the show logo is created by melissa durkin If you'd like to support Life in the Credits and get access to exclusive perks, you can do so at patreon.com. If you'd like to follow or get a hold of us, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Life in the Credits or shoot us an email at lifeinthecredits at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Everybody has a cell phone and they're going to be using them anyway during the show.